Thanks for the reply. I like replies, by the way. I, uh, this is, uh, yeah, we are probably too much like uh, New Englanders, at least Anglo-New Englanders, and um, being quiet. I'm good with replies. You'll, you'll, uh, you'll encourage me, so feel free um, to, to respond. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, though I'm from here, uh, it is, I, I talk to other pastors. Sometimes I've learned that's not a problem for me at all, but it's hard to know how New Englanders are doing with your preaching because you get the same expression um, no matter what. And uh, so I can see you guys, by the way, just so you know that. I can see all your faces. And, um, and, and I'll get just, you know, good attention faces is what they are. And then afterwards, someone will be like, well, that was so encouraging. And, and I've learned, like, you know, I, that's good to hear. And I can't gauge whether that's happening during the, the message because you're just, like, the same face. So. <laughs> so, there was, I, I, you're going to get me off on a tangent. But there, I was at a conference where... Uh, it was all New England pastors, and there was a guy from Virginia who came, and he was speaking to the pastors, and he actually stopped in the middle of his message and said, Is, uh, am I doing something wrong here? <laughs> and uh, they're like, no, you're good. We're just not letting you know that. But, um, so anyhow, uh, you're, feel free to give me responses or not. Uh, we are in a series in Genesis, and, and um, if you're new here, we're so glad you're here, new online. Um, our online presence Though we prefer to be in person, that's the biblical norm uh, we do have online, and it's served a lot of people actually getting to know us. Uh, before someone visits, they often uh, visit us online. So you're welcome uh, to be here with us. We're glad you're here with us online. My name is Paul Buckley, uh, the lead pastor here, and I'm leading. Others will be preaching too, but I'll be doing the bulk of the le- uh, preaching through the book of Genesis. This wonderful book has been given to us by God, and we so need it. Uh, it's always been true that we need the, the Word of God to help us understand ourselves. We, uh, we find ourselves adrift. We're like a vessel at sea, a ship at sea, and there's all sorts of winds that blow, all sort, sorts of storms that come, all sorts of territory to explore, and we can sometimes wonder uh, who are we and where are we, where are we supposed to go, and the Word of God in the entirety in Genesis especially in many ways is like a beacon on a hill shining to us saying this is the way. This is who you are. This is what your mission is about. And we need it. In our day and age especially, I think we're faced with a lot of uh, challenges here. But I would say even in the founding of our country, uh, there were aspects of our political theory that were were terribly off in how they taught us about who we are. Um, There are some things in it that are very good, but when it says that that life or government is about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, uh, that's, that's not really quite right. And we as Americans can define our sense of self and mission on that phrase. And certainly there's aspects of truth there. Uh, But if you subscribe to that as your definition of self, you are terribly wrong in in light of the Bible. And God's word comes and helps us, uh, no matter where we might be, in giving us definition, understanding ourselves. That's what I want to talk about today. Uh, From Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 31, the, the truth of God about who we are that we are images reflecting his glory. So um, we're going to dig in to this passage, but let me pray first, and then we'll read it. Lord, we thank you for your word, that we're not left alone with all these other influences uh, to be adrift, but you give us truth and light, and you guide us, so that we might know the life that is true life. We thank you for that. And we thank you, Lord, for this uh, blessing of gathering to worship in your name, This is according to your word. We're called to do this, and it's not without great purpose. 
You want to speak to us. You want to visit us. You want to readjust our perspective and equip us and encourage us and draw us to yourself and then send us out in your truth and power. So Lord, come and visit with us now as we uh, lay our, our lives down, as we kneel before you and your word. We thank you for your word. Uh, lead us in its truth. Help me, Lord, to serve well. I want to disappear. I want you to be up front. Uh, I want us to see your glory and love your way. So help us, Holy Spirit, now we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm going to just read the latter part of this, the, uh, focus on the truths that are here in verses 24 to 31. And it says in uh, verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock stock, and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And in particular, let's focus on this section. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. I want to focus on these verses, in particular verses 26 to, uh, and following, as it speaks to us about the creation of man, this truth of being made in the image of God. I want to cover three things that are here in the text. Uh, the text teaches us, one, that we are specially made by our triune God. Second, I want to talk about that mankind is created by God, and therefore for God. And three, that mankind is made in the image of God. So those are the three sub-points to this truth that uh, together we are specially created by God to reflect His image. So first, specially made. In verse 26, maybe you've noticed there's a shift in the way things are worded here. Um, throughout the text so far, it, said, it has said, let there be this, let there be that. And here, there's a different way of saying it. It says, then God said, instead of saying, let there be man, he says, let us make man in our image. There's a difference here, and it's meant to stand out to us, to draw our attention to how God thinks about this part of the creation account, this part of, the, of creation. There's something going on here that's different than all the rest of creation, as important and glorious and as good as that is, this is different here, because now God gets involved in a different way. We don't want to make too much of the wording. But it's almost like in some ways 
up till now, he's been giving indirect commands. Let there be this. And, and perhaps however it's working, things are getting done by him. But here it's direct involvement. Let us make man. Speaking, he refers to himself. Let us, in the plural, we'll talk about that. Make man, the word is different. Instead of let there be, it's let us make man in our image. It's, it's almost like a, an architect building a, a great cathedral. And the architect knows the plans. He has the plans for this cathedral. He, he, he knows every little detail about it. It's extensive. It's glorious. It's beautiful. And he's overseeing a team and they're doing the work and he's saying, let there be a foundation. Let there be this. But when he gets to the building of the altar in that cathedral, he says, guys, this is my thing. And he rolls up his sleeves and he does it himself. He builds that altar with his own hands. This is the idea here. As God speaks of his creation. Mankind is that special creation. The pinnacle of creation that God himself sets his own hands to. And saying let us make man in our image. We are specially made. And I think we need to get that. We need to understand it for ourselves. We need to understand it for other human beings. Human beings are not just part of creation just like anything else. They are not equal with the animals and creation, planets and everything. As great as those things are, mankind is, is not on par with this. Mankind is a special part of creation in a unique role. And we must regard people with that same weight that God does. There should be a respect. These are, these are not just advanced animals here. These are those made by God himself in the image of God. So understand people that way. Understand ourselves that way. Understand the value that this text teaches us that we ought to put on humankind. Let us make man in our image. You probably have heard the, what else is going on there. There's this us and our statement here. Let us Make man in our image. And, and we might wonder, what, what's going on? What does that mean? I thought God was singular. Why is he saying, let us? Who's the us? And theologians and Bible scholars have debated this. Some would say, well, it's the hosts of heaven. The angels. The, the, all the angels and all the heavenlies that are made by God. And God's saying, let us, together. God, myself, with the angels is kind of the idea. Let us make man in our image. And I would say, I don't see that in Scripture. I don't see that in the text anywhere. I don't see that affirmed anywhere else in Scripture. And, and I think that what drives that is this idea that, that how could it be a statement on the, on the plurality of God here when the Old Testament doesn't seem to understand the fact that their God is three in one, three persons in one being, He's one God, but three persons. And, and that doesn't get clear, really, explicit till later on when, when Christ appears and the Spirit is sent. And so it's anachronistic, right? It's, it's reading in the New Testament to the Old to say it's the Trinity. But, and so that idea forces people to say, we've got to find another explanation. And they grab a hold of one that I don't think is supported by Scripture. And what I would submit to you, along with many others, just so you know, um, would believe that this is speaking of the Trinity here, early in the Bible. And it's not the only place in Genesis 1 that we hear of the Trinity. Because at the very beginning, who is hovering over the waters? The Spirit of God. And who is the instrument of, of 
creation, the, 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 the truth overseeing it, the, the means of creation. It's God saying, let there be. It's the Word of God. The Word of God is present as well. Christ, the second person, God, God the Son, takes on flesh, becomes Jesus Christ. But the second person, the Trinity, is present here too in the Word being the, the means of creation. So he's already here, explicitly and implicitly, in the text. And so this is speaking of God in his three persons and one being. A mystery that later on is going to be explained in further detail, but by the way, a mystery that we'll never understand. We can't ever get the reality that God is three in one. And that's why all those analogies that are used are all have serious errors in them because none of them can quite explain this, this situation. There's three persons in one being. And so we trust God in that revelation and we better understand him. He wants us to understand him that way. And this has a, an important uh, influence in how we understand mankind. That this is the triune God making man in his image. We're going to talk more about what that means here. But the fact that we are made in his image is connected to the fact that he is Trinity. He is three in one and has all sorts of important implications. It's interesting just to see uh, these truths and how important they are. And just to remember, as we've said, as I said before, that this is written originally to the people of God as they came out of Egypt and they live in the ancient Near East with other cultures like the Mesopotamian culture being dominant. They had very different ideas about creation and very different ideas about people. Humanity was seen by many of them really as slaves to serve the gods. There's nothing about people being made in the image of God, really. People are made just to serve the gods, and they are kind of an afterthought. Oh yeah, that's right, let's make somebody to do our work so we can chill out as, as the deities. That was the idea. There were some people that were considered basically demigods, that were actually called the image of God, um, and that was kings, like Pharaoh and a king, any king in Mesopotamia. They, they got to be called the image of God, but no one else. And so this is radically different than the culture that they would have known. A radically different statement about who they are as people who aren't kings really in, in the world, but in God's eyes are kings and queens, are sons and daughters made in the very image of God. Put in creation, not subservient to creation, but creation made actually for them so that they might reign as kings and priests over creation in the enjoyment and worship of God for all eternity. That's what's going on here. That's what humankind is. Humankind is set as the crown of creation to rule over all, to be his royal representatives on earth. This is what our text teaches us. We are specially made by God. Second, we are created by God and for God. It's important for us to get that, and there are certain aspects in, the, in this passage that make that really clear, especially verse 27. If you read verse 27, it sounds a little bit weird. Verse 27 says, So God created man in his image. Um, in his image, did, uh, sorry, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Um, if you could put that text up, I think we have that just to show. So it's a little bit weird because we don't talk like this. And this is a little more of a literal uh, rendition that I put up there. Create, 
it says literally more woodenly, create God did man in his image. In his image God did create them. Male and female he created them. That's the statement there. It sounds like Yoda speak. Uh, but it's Hebrew and it's, uh, it's Hebrew poetry. So it's poetry and it's meant to emphasize, just like poetry, we're trying to convey a feeling, right? A sense when we use poetry. That's what's going on here. So when you read through that, what sort of sense do you get? What do you see repeated? Create, 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 and then image, image, image. But create is, this word is used in this, what, three times? And it's used a lot through this whole section of scripture. And there's something important to get then, right? Why is God doing this? Why is the scripture this way? That, that I think it's clearly telling us that God created us. We have a creator. We were made by God. And there's all sorts of important implications from that truth. Really important to think through. We're made, we're created by God. So this emphasis on create God did, man in his image. In his image, God did create him. Me, male and female, he created them. And by the way, two weeks from now, we'll talk about male and female aspects. But God created, God created, God created is what's being said here. Why, was, why emphasize that? Why go back over that? Well, if we want to understand who we are, we need to understand ourselves as those who are made by God. Yes, in his image, we're going to talk about that. But we're made by God. We did not make ourselves. We are not self-determined. When you make something, right, you make something for some sort of purpose, don't you? Like, like things are not ever truly random. That, my kids say that, that's so random. I said, actually, totally random, would, would you, would, it wouldn't make any sense at all. We take, we take that idea. You're, we make things for a reason. We do things for a reason. Everything you create, you're, you're thinking of some, some sort of purpose. And if it's something you truly created, you have a prerogative over that, right, for its purpose. It doesn't get to take over. You know, you don't make a dinner, then the dinner gets to decide who gets to eat the dinner or not, right? Um, or when. You know, the dinner's not in charge once it's made. You're in charge of the dinner. It has a purpose to be eaten by your family, your friends, or yourself. That's what's going on here. God's the one who makes us, not ourselves. We are not self-determined. We don't get to decide. And, and that shifts our whole perspective. That changes how we think of ourselves. And it's an important truth. And it's important for us to understand that, that, that God is at the center here. God is the center of creation. God is, God is the one making things. He gets to call the shots. It's His creation, not ours. Some years ago, the book came out, The Purpose Driven Life, and, and in many ways, it's a good book. Um, and any sort of book like that really needs to go to Scripture. If you want to understand the purpose of your life, you need to go to the Creator. He's the one who made you. He gets to determine your purpose. If you want to find your purpose, go to the book. And God graciously lets us know our purpose. It's here throughout the whole book. It's here right in the beginning. You are made by God. You don't belong to yourself by virtue of creation. Also by virtue of redemption too. You are not your own. You don't get to call the shots in that sense. Everything is made by Him. Our purpose comes from Him. Now, we don't like that. We squirm. Maybe you're squirming right now. 
I squirm. We rebel, we doubt, we, we, we think about things ourselves, we manipulate things, we try to do whatever we can to live for our own purposes. This is the problem. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. This is the problem in, in our lives right now. But the text, the Bible, clearly teaches us that we're made by God. He's the creator. He created us. He gets to determine our purpose. And ultimately, we learned about all of creation has an ultimate purpose to express the goodness and glory of God. That's what creation is ultimately about. It's His expression, like that fountain that, that is ever flowing by virtue of what it is, who God is. He is full of greatness, goodness, and glory. He's ever flowing. And creation is the overflow. It's His, his creation, His expression of His goodness and glory. All things in creation, in its original state and in its final state, and through the whole process in His sovereign action, is about His glory. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever, Paul says in Romans 11. And we don't like that. Or we do like it. But we struggle. We struggle with this idea in, in Genesis forces us to wrestle with this and to face this reality. Paul actually emphasizes this in Romans 9 as he's talking about things that people might not like in God's plan. And his answer, one of his answers there is verse 20 of chapter 9. He says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded or what is formed, say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Well, what is created, say to its creator, why have you made me like this? The answer first to our objections to God being the creator, the answer in scripture is, you're not the creator, he is. He gets to call that. It's his prerogative. And ultimately we have no right to question God. That's a truth. And that's actually where the answers in scripture start. Job is never told the details of his sufferings. But he's told this. I'm God. I'm good and I'm great. You're not. Trust me. And we want to be, the other, we want to be different than that, right? Let me figure out if you're trustworthy first. Let me you know, hear the whole thing. Tell me the whole background. And if I happen to agree, then I'll trust you. But the answer here is no. I'm God, you're not. Trust me. And there needs to be that aspect in our lives that, that we do submit to God because He is Creator. We bow our lives before Him as the Creator. Now, the second answer in Scripture that we're given, though, is an answer from God's kindness to us. When we survey Scripture, when we look at the whole story, when we go on from chapter 1 and in in what we're going to see in chapter 3, we watch God at work. This book is about Him ultimately, not about us. And we see a God who is fully trustworthy. Fully worthy of our worship. This is not some conceited, egotistical, capricious, sadist. This is an amazingly compassionate, kind, incomprehensibly humble, infinitely good Creator who has made all things and who patiently endures our rebellion and continues to provide for us day after day 
food, shelter, families, jobs, beating heart, beautiful days, and all the blessings of our creation. And who most profoundly has provided for us in redemption through His Son, God Himself taking upon Himself the penalty of sin, the penalty of our terrible cosmic rebellion on Himself. Taking on flesh, living a humble life, demonstrating the character of God in His teachings and in His actions, demonstrating the power of God in His miracles, demonstrating the compassion and mercy of God and willingly going to the cross to bear the penalty for our sins, the just penalty of spiritual death multiplied by billions upon Himself, dying in our place, owning that sin in a profound way so much so that 2 Corinthians would say, He who knew no sin became sin for us. This is a worthy God. He humbles himself under us. He lowers himself lower than us to serve us, to rescue us, to take upon himself our sins. That through simple faith in him. If it were you or I, I think we'd say, well, okay, I did this for you, but here's, the, here's a list of ten things you've got to do to get straight first. You've got to know that you're really vested in this thing before you get any benefits here. But he doesn't say that. He says simply turn away from false alternatives and turn and trust. Just simple faith. Receive it. This is the, the amazing truth of the good news. It's free to us. It cost him dearly, but it's free to us. And he offers it freely. And we are to freely receive it and freely pass it on. This is who our God is. He, he, this is who the Creator is. He is good and he is glorious. And he demonstrates these qualities in his creation, in his redemption. And his purposes in and through our lives are ultimately perfect. And we must learn to bow our knees to Him. That's what the Christian life is about, is learning to, to trust Him and bow our knees and be conformed to the image of Christ. To not be conformed to this world, as it says in Romans 12 too, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that, you may, that by testing you may discern what the, is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We learn in Christ and in these truths to bow our knees, to trust, and to now gladly follow and gladly follow our purpose to receive our life from Him and live for Him and the purpose He's given to love Him and to love others in His name. He is the Creator. We are the creation. Thirdly, we are the image of God. Man is created in the image of God. This is a profound, important truth. We've already talked about it a little bit. He makes us in His image it says, uh, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And maybe you've heard different ideas about that, that likeness and image are different. I would submit that the way it's used in Scripture, there are synonyms. And this is just Hebrew repetition to make it very clear that we're made in the image of God. We are made in His likeness. We resemble Him in significant ways. Like a son resembles a father, a daughter resembles a mother. Uh, in this way, we are made in His image, reflecting who He is. Um, that's an important thing to understand. Again, as I said before, the, the, in the culture of the day, the only ones that were given that description were kings or, st or uh, idols, statues as well, were images of God. But here, mankind as a whole, every human being, is given that description that they are made in the image of God. They are like God. 
in a profound way. We are, are those that are basically reflectors of who God is and, and who we are. We are not God, but in some sense, we're almost like demigods. We, we reflect His image. We are His sons and daughters in a profound way. We're not deity, we're creations. But it's profound what He says here and that we are made in the image of God after His likeness. This is why in Scripture, actually, that we are to treat human beings differently than any other part of creation. Murder is prohibited based on this truth. Genesis 9, 6, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the names of God he has made man. And the New Testament takes that truth and, and expands it, actually. That, that, it, that it's not just murder, physical, actual murder, but it's actually any sort of disrespect, any sort of, of, of lack of love and honor for others is put in the same category. We're not to do that, ever. We're not to think of people as, oh, that, that fool, that unworthy person. We're to honor others because they are made in the image of God. They, they are of that status that's so important. And so James 3.9, we read, it says, with the tongue, it's speaking of, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. And so James is saying, this is totally inappropriate to bless God and then to curse somebody? It makes no sense because mankind is made in the image of God. Although mankind has been corrupted by the ravages of sin, and though God is just to judge sinners, we are never to take that as an excuse to disrespect or mistreat any human being. They are made in the image of God. Now, you might be thinking, well, what does that mean specifically? I, kinda, I get the idea, I get the elevated status, but like, help me, practically. Does it mean that God has you know, two eyes and a nose and ears and legs and so forth? Or what does this mean? Well, God's a spirit. He's not a physical being. He created the physical reality and the spiritual reality. But he transcends that. Christ, God has taken on flesh, and certainly in that sense, Christ is fully human like we are. But, but this is before that. And so what does it mean? What does it mean to say that we are in the image of God? Well, I think first, <clears throat> excuse me, um, <clears throat> got a frog in my throat. Um, first, we need to understand that this is not like um, just in part sort of thing. Like you know, you like you know, well, you got God's nose. You know, this one aspect of you. It actually affects all of who we are. Every aspect about ourselves is is part of the image of God, um, and. And it affects and who we, it speaks of who we are and our being, and who we are in our doing. And we see it here in Scripture. We see it throughout Scripture that that there are many ways that we are the image of God. We are the image of God, really, in, in, as our whole being. So we are rational beings, right? We think about things. We, we reason. We we ponder. We consider. We can actually choose to do things by thinking through it, right? We can have one conclusion, and then we can rethink that conclusion and choose to do something else. We, we have that ability to, to see truth and grapple with truth and, and, and make decisions. We are rational. That's like God. God thinks. He is rational. 
We're moral beings. We have a sense of things that are right or wrong at a higher level, not just practically. I shouldn't do this because this will happen, but no, that's not the right thing to do. We, we think morally. We think big picture, value-wise, like God does. He understands good and evil. and We are too as well. We do. We are relational. This is an important part of being made in the image of God. God says, let us make man in our image. God is relational. He is eternally relational. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when He wants to make Himself known, of course, He has to make a relational being. He has to make a being that lives in community with other beings. He has to make a being that is actually binary, male or female. Called to relationship in broader relationships like families and communities, but also uh, for those who are married and, and role as husband and wife. To express the, that relational aspect. We image him in being relational beings because he is relational. He is not solitary. He is relational. He is volitional. He makes choices. We are volitional. He is creative. Incredibly creative. Creation is just so glorious. The plan of redemption is just so amazing and wise. Demons couldn't figure it out. The angels longed to look into it. God is creative in, in what he does. And we are creative. We image him in being creative. God speaks. He speaks things and things happen. We are speaking. So, so in these different aspects of these qualities of who we are, we image God, but also in what we do. And in the text, we see mankind called to do things as well. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Um, and and uh, we're called to be fruitful and multiply. We're called to do things. We're to rule over all these things. And as we talked about, I think it was last week, we, that creation really is a grand temple for worship. And we are kings and priests to worship. Worship is assigning worth to something. And so we're different than the rest of creation because we see value. We look at things and we see glory. We look at creation the sunset and we see beauty and we think about things like the Creator and His greatness and we worship Him. We are those that assign value to those things that are truly valuable on a scale beyond any other uh, being can do as humans made in His image. We love. We have this Wonderful, yet crazy and often very inconvenient propensity to love. We will even make choices to, to suffer harm for the sake of the good of another. That makes no sense in many ways. But that's who we are, made in the image of God. Loving and giving ourselves to others. That's what the Lord does. The triune God forever and ever in their love. Giving themselves one to another gladly. The Son is pleased and joyful to serve the Father. The Father is joyful to pour out grace and His eternal begetting of the Son and the Spirit. The Spirit is glad to bring the attention to the Son and through the Son to the Father. There's this deep eternal love that is beyond imagination that we are actually brought into through redemption and, and we'll enjoy that love and experience that love uh, beyond measure. We're made in His image as those that love. 
So we are made in His image in these profound ways in our being and our doing. And as we go through this, of course, we must recognize something's terribly wrong here, right? We look at all this and think, this is great. But it's terribly wrong in our experience. Something very tragic has happened to the image of God. The beautiful and glorious image of God has been thoroughly damaged and defaced by the horrors of sin. We will learn about that in chapter 3. There's something terribly wrong. We don't necessarily even have to know about chapter 3 to know and see this reality. Something's wrong with us. Something's wrong with creation. There are deep scars. There's a pervasive stain on mankind that runs through every fiber of our being. There has been corruption to this beauty and this purpose. I think of it this way, if you're a Star Trek fan, I know there's at least one other Star Trek fan in the room. Um, do you remember the Borg? Anyone remember the Borg? All right, so the Borg, <laughs> some of us enthusiastically remember the Borg. The, uh, this was an alien hybrid uh, cyborg species that assimilated everything in its path, uh, right? You will be assimilated, resistance is futile. That's what it would say. Um, and so this is a, this, this species that tries to assimilate everything to itself, and it's this hybrid cyborg species. And this was in the day way before smartphones, by the way. So I wonder if this is happening now. But anyhow, um, <laughs> Captain Picard gets assimilated by the Borg. And in the series, uh, you, you, you see this new person, uh, Locutus, is that his name? Um, Locutus, and, and he, uh, he looks like Captain Picard. You know it's Captain Picard, but something's happened to him. He has these implants on him. He's got computer stuff. He's really pale, and he's like without personality. He's lost kind of his core personality. He's significantly altered by the Borg. It's this distorted version of Picard. And that's what sin's like. Sin is like the Borg. Living life apart from God, depending on God and, and loving God, is living in sin. This is the terrible thing that happens. Mankind tries to be self-determined. A terrible mistake that we all repeat. And that's what sin is. It's, it's living apart from God instead of trusting Him and obeying Him. And it's like the Borg that, that has taken over mankind and altered us. And yeah, we still look like Captain Picard somewhat, but there's something wrong here. It's off. And, and in the story of Genesis, we're going to see actually it gets so bad. In chapter 6, that God, it says, regrets having made man. He's grieved. It says in chapter 6, verses 5 to 6, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. How, how can that be? The corruption and, and, the, and the extent that the corruption went was so horrendous that God, though sovereign, though understanding the end from the beginning, was grieved and sorry. And it would have been right for him to wipe man off the face of the earth at that point and to give up saying, that didn't go so well. Let's do something else. 
But starting with that chapter and elsewhere, what we see is God in His mercy, because He's so merciful, to undeserving sinners, to rebels who, who can have the, this reality that every intention of thought is evil only continually. He nevertheless, in His great mercy, pursues us. He rescues Noah and his family. He begins to rebuild and He calls people to Himself. And He reaches out. And as mankind runs generation after generation in the opposite direction from God, God chases after them to the point of taking on flesh Himself and living in our midst. That through His life, through His teaching, through His death and resurrection, through the Father's plan, through the Spirit's activity, we might be rescued from the horrors of sin. We might be rescued from the Borg to live again in the purpose of God according to Scripture. Christ Himself comes as the only perfect image of God. It says in Colossians 1, He is the image of God, the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Christ comes to rescue us from our sin, from this this damage of sin and the death that it brings in His death and resurrection. He not only comes to rescue us from the power of sin that we might be free to live a new life, to to live in the image of God as we're meant to, to live, but to restore that image. He wants to restore that image in us individually and corporately. And He will finish the work that He started in us. Romans 8 promises us, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. What good news this is. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. That Christ came as that, that restored, that perfect image, and He came to restore it in our lives, individually and corporately. And this happens how? It happens as we look to Christ. Not by simply picking ourselves up by our bootstraps and doing the right thing, but looking to the perfect image of Christ who has come and has overcome sin, who is God in the flesh and shows us the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We behold the glory of the Lord in Christ. And this isn't just individually. This is corporately. Ephesians chapter 4 and following is about the corporate man becoming the image of Christ. So he wants to restore the image not just individually, but of course he's relational. He's a community oriented, right? He's a, he's a God who communes the three in one and calls us to be a community that images him. So Paul says in Ephesians 4.20, but that is not the way you learn Christ, speaking of the old way, the marred image. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Put off that old man, put off that corruption, put off that that altered state and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what the Lord's doing. This is what the plan and the purpose is about. There's a lot more aspects to this. God's desire actually is to multiply this image throughout the globe. The Great Commission, you are called, we are called as a church to make disciples, 
to make image bearers individually and corporately. We're to plant churches throughout the globe so the image gets restored throughout the globe and it is shown throughout all peoples, among all peoples. This is part of the mission of God that started in chapter 1. And we'll finish when that work is done. And when he returns and restores all things. This is the teaching of Genesis chapter 1. This is who we are. We are specially made by God. We are created by the Creator, made by Him, through Him, and for Him. We are made in the very image of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for these truths. Help us, Lord, now to live under them, and to saturate ourselves with them, to be empowered and propelled by them, we pray. And how we live and what we choose to do and how we love others and what we do in terms of mission as well. Thank you for this restored image that you're doing in our lives, individually and corporately. Glorify your worthy name on the earth through us, we pray. In Christ's name.